Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle aged warriors, Chris Samino and Rick Summers. Welcome to Middle Age Warriors as we jump back into the pool for 2021 as we bring you show number 38 with Chris and Rick. And today our special guest is a CNBC anchor, former hedge fund director, and one of the more likable guys you'll ever meet. He really is, unlike me. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, I I met our guest several years ago, probably 20-something years ago, and we will get to him in a little bit. I have to say, you know, uh, 2021 is here. I got to tell you, I had this weirdest dream about 2020. There was this something like a there was like a pandemic or something and it, the world was shut down yeah. i woke up at the thank goodness on 2021 everything's you know yeah back to normal everything is back to normal <laughs> so, as we said in our our year-end show i think that people's assumption that 2021 was going to automatically the flip of the calendar mm. and everything would be back in Right to normal, and yeah. I think we obviously see that's not the case. Yeah, it's like we wanted to wipe the slate clean. Well, we wiped from one slate the crap that was on it onto the new slate, yeah. but it's the same crap. It's just a different slate. <laughs> same crap, same. different slate. Different slate. That's going to be my that. that's my slogan for twenty twenty one. Getting you a coffee mug with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're in it. We've got to you know stay optimistic. And one of the things that obviously is uh, important to a lot of folks, and it's really been a very tough time, a tough year financially. So what better than to have somebody talk about that and uh, hopefully set us straight and give us a little clarity. All right, it's time to get to our special guest today. Um, And Rick, this is a guy that uh, I'm hoping can clear up a few things in my head because when it comes to finances, I'm pretty much still in kindergarten. I (laughs) have not advanced much beyond that and the world is changing every moment. And we're talking about uh, CNBC anchor, Emmy Award winner, uh, former hedge fund director, owner of his own business at different times in his life. But more importantly, a, a really cool guy, a really nice guy. And we're talking about Ron and Sana. And I met Ron many, many years ago at the Today Show and then in the hallways often at NBC. And Ron, you've always been a class act and a gentleman. And I really appreciate you taking some time to be part yeah, of Middle Age Warriors. So much. Well, same back at you, Chris. And, and, and to you too, Rick. And Happy New Year. And, and it's nice to know that I am uh, qualified as a middle aged warrior. I mean, I like yeah. the warrior part because <laughs> it yeah, most do. Yeah, it's the other issue, unfortunately, where we're all at, but we're all kind of in that in that same group. So, you know, we want to talk about, obviously, a, a lot of your history and background, but where we are right now, I think, is the forefront of, uh, of what's yeah. going on. And something I saw today that over 68% of Americans had financial setbacks in 2020 amid the pandemic, whether it was a job loss, cut back in hours, your savings being drained. So from your perspective of what you're seeing, how do these people approach 2021? Well, I I think with some degree of hope, although the damage that's been done to Main Street, even as Wall Street has soared to new all-time highs, largely based on just the amount of money that's flooded the system since since March and April of last year. Listen, Main Street's been decimated. You look at the number of small businesses that have gone out, likely to go out. You look at the number of restaurant closures in big cities and small cities. You just look at Main Street writ large, and, and it's been gutted. Uh, by the pandemic, by the lockdowns, uh, by all of this. Having said that, I think 
One thing that even Wall Street is counting on here is that the new administration and now with the Democratic Senate, presumably, there will be much more stimulus delivered to Americans in need. It may be mm -hmm. more targeted to those who need it most, those who have been most adversely affected by, by the last uh, 10 months now. And, and so there is a glimmer of hope, but it's going to take a while to, to patch this all back together. There are businesses that are simply not coming back. And, and that's a real issue. Small business mm -hmm. is the engine of growth in the U.S., and so it's going to take some time for people to recover. This is, for Main Street, it's a depression. For Wall Street, it's been euphoria. Sorry to pull you off uh, your, your table at CNBC on such a, a rocket ship day for the Dow, vaulting ahead <laughs> again. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, taking you back to, um, I guess, the crash in 87, which is before you probably started at CNBC. No, I was at FNN. Later. I was at Financial News. Oh, you were at FNN back, back then. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that and tell us about uh, 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these events have some similarities, but then there are really important differences. If you go back to the crash of 87, um, where there was a professional euphoria on Wall Street for, for stocks in particular, for mergers and acquisition activity, for leverage buyouts, all these types of things that were, you know, de rigueur on Wall Street at the time. It was, it was financed by, at the time, expensive debt. I mean, Michael Milken of the junk bond king was putting out 14% junk bonds that financed the acquisitions of hotels and casinos for some individuals we know, uh, for <laughs> people, uh, startups and things like that. Um, and, and it was a heady time. And then in the six months uh, from April of, of, of 1987 going on into October, interest rates skyrocketed, the dollar crashed, we had a whole host of issues that were taking place, and the market got you know, extraordinarily richly valued and crashed uh, on October 19th, 1987, fell almost 23% in a single day. And, and, I, and I covered that, that from the floors of the Chicago exchanges for Financial News Network at the time. And it was, at the end of the day, it was a largely professional affair. The mm -hmm. Federal Reserve did intervene, flooded the system with money, cut interest rates. And that was really uh, effectively the template for, for every subsequent crisis that we've had. So 87 never produced a recession. There was a, a depression on Wall Street, like 30,000 right. jobs were lost at a time when that was meaningful. But right. Main Street never got hit. That was not true in 2008, where uh, both the financial community and Main Street were taken mm -hmm. down together because we were all levered to the same asset one way or another, and that was our home. And so whether it was a speculative home purchase on the part of an individual or whether it was this really frothy, crazy uh, finance-driven stuff in both commercial and residential real estate, mm -hmm. we had a crisis where, again, the Fed had to do unprecedented things like take interest rates to zero and mm -hmm. do a host of other things that, that would bail out the economy. And, and then this is wildly different from all of those. This is a right. biologic shock, an economic shock, and a market shock all at the same time. <laughs> right. It's a perfect storm, unfortunately. So moving back to the present... Uh, the average middle-aged warrior, such as myself and, and, and others, and I'll use the I'll use an age range in let's say 50s, mid to late 50s, perhaps, where a lot of people are maybe on the backside of their careers a little bit, still working, maybe still have to put some kids through college, maybe they're already out of college. But what should they be looking forward to in terms of doing with their finances, short term and then long term, based on where we are right now? Well, I'm, listen, I think you know it's. It's almost an individualized question at this point because mm -hmm. it really depends on circumstance, right? So if, if you've been able, as some of us have, uh, to maintain the large portion of your occupation um, mm -hmm. through the use of Zoom and podcasting, if you're in our business, you know, you've had opportunities to continue doing what you're doing because we have a technology 
uh, that has allowed us to function in largely the same capacity we've been operating in for years or decades, right? So I do my CNBC hits from my office and I live three doors away from CNBC. I haven't been there since March. You know, <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I get virtual yeah. speeches. You can yell um, out the window and they can hear you probably. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, my, my, my kids would attest to that. Yeah. Um, and so for those people who are in the types of jobs where they've been able to lever technology, there isn't much they need to do. The, the real question around this is what do people on Main Street um, who have lost their livelihoods do? And, and, and unfortunately, the answer is going to be work longer uh, and, and possibly reskill if, if, mm-hmm. if that's at all possible. I mean, you may have to, you know, not in the Ivanka Trump sense, which, you know, find something new to do. Uh, it's a rather callous way to put it. But I think given the reality and the dynamic of the workplace, assuming we can get back to something that's close to full employment, people may have to, to switch careers or find things that they can do and, and, and make major adjustments because this has been such a big dislocation. Hey, Ron, you know, I remember back to the hype and excitement around Dow 10,000. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I knew you were hats, t-shirts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I remember um, I watched CNBC religiously every day to see what was going on to stay on top of my portfolio. And now we're at Dow 30,000. Could you have ever imagined we'd be where we are? Well, no, not, not really. And, and, it's, and it's funny you bring that up because, you know, back in, in 1999 or, or thereabouts, people were writing books called Dow 36,000, Dow 40,000. Know, <laughs> right. You know, and look, they were doing simple kind of arithmetic discounting where if you assumed an 8% or 9% return every year over the next nine or 10 years, the market was going to double from 10,000 to 20 and then from 20 to 40 over a 16-year period. So if you go back over 20 years ago now, that math was, was right. They weren't saying 2020. They were saying much earlier. Um, but yeah, look, we've had a couple of events, you know, post the collapse of the internet bubble where interest rates have become so accommodative and interest rate policy has been so easy that financial assets have become increasingly attractive. So in the absence of being able to get five, six or 7% from a bond, you've had to go out and buy stocks, whether for their dividends, whether for their buybacks, whether for the growth potential, all of that had to be done if you were an investor and if you're a professional investor, you absolutely had to do it. And all the liquidity was available to you. So you just kept buying. And that's Mm. quite frankly, despite some of our concerns along the way, has been the right thing to do. And so it's just driven the market now to, I would argue, somewhat overvalued levels. But, but again, with interest rates at zero and likely to stay there for a while, it's still called the Tina market. There is no other alternative. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I've heard and I've spoken to some other people and they keep saying the market, this is, it's running on a lot of hot air. It's overinflated right now. People who are looking at their 401k plans, you know, every day go, oh, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm riding this baby. Um, but what is the reality about that? Is there anything people should be doing with some of that money? Should they try to split it, reinvest it somewhere else, different types of uh, financial institutions, if you will, or just write it out and say, okay, you know, where it lands, we'll deal with it when it's, when the time is right. Well, the answer is yes. I mean, it's, it's right? I mean, good job, Ron. <laughs> that was safe. <laughs> no, look, I mean, so we're seeing a big rotation take place, uh, the so-called recovery trade, the notion that as we get more stimulus support from the Federal Reserve and as the vaccine, however uneven the rollout has been thus far, does ultimately get distributed. Maybe the back half of 2021 looks far more normal 
than mm. the front half and people go back to doing things that they've done. So some of these reopening stocks, if you will, airlines, cruise ships, you know, any restaurant chains, those companies will do better. Uh, anybody that's in the infrastructure business, they pass a big bill out of Congress and the White House will do better. Overseas markets have done better. Uh, small stocks are outperforming large growth is outperforming. I'm sorry, value is outperforming growth and, and uh, international is beginning to outperform domestic. So that's a trade that the a firm that I'm associated with has been recommending as Schroeder's North America, a big investment firm. And, and that's a trade that's worked great since the bottom in March. And I suspect that's got some legs. There are other things, depending on age, you know, people need to take a look at to lock in certain rates of return. There are some annuity programs in the insurance world that can help people lock in a, you know, 7% or 6% annual rate of return uh, when they start withdrawing money. Those things are interesting to look at for those who are approaching retirement and want to just get money out of the market and find a guaranteed income stream that will mm -hmm. also maybe have a death benefit if they have you know, kids or estate plans that they're trying to put together. And so, you know, those are the things you look at as you approach retirement. If you're young, you close your eyes, you put money to work every month. And, you know, anybody younger than us is going to retire at 70, not 67. Right. So yeah. 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. just sock the money away. Yeah. Let me ask you, um, on a personal level, is middle age, because the three of us are middle age guys, is it what you thought it yeah, was? Yeah, if we lived to 120. Yeah, that's the, I know that's been the running joke lately. It's know, like, really. how many 120-year-olds do you know? Well, yeah, really. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a possibility. That's true. It has been said that the first person to live to 150 has been born among the millennials. You wow. better invest so, well then. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So, yeah, better invest well. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, if you think a 70-year retire, retirement means 80 years on the couch. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I, the bigger question about that question about middle age, and I know for Rick and I, we've talked about this. And when we were younger, if we were 20, 25 or 30 and projected, well, what are you going to be like when you're 60? I feel like uh, we're, I'm in pretty good shape, actually. I, I'm yeah. better than I thought I was going to be. I mean, how, how are you feeling about it? I actually feel the same. You know, look, there, there, there are a couple of nicks, there are a couple of bruises, there are a couple of, sure. uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> like a used car. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but but a well-kept used car, I might add. Exactly. You know, you know we've, we've changed the oil, you mm -hmm. know, we've put in new air filters here and there. We've <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel 60, at least as I understood 60 to be when I was younger. Right. I mean, I act somewhere between 14 and 17. Mm -hmm. So my maturity level hasn't really improved all that much. <laughs> Agreed. I don't think any of us look like our grandparents at 60. Right. They look, right. you know, you, if you put a picture of them up today at 20, 30, 40, 50, you yeah. throw 10 or 20 years on top of that picture easily. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandparents lived in the apartment upstairs from where I had grown up. I remember my grand father passed away at I think 64 65 yeah. and I thought he was an old man he wore a hat had trousers you know his belt was just below his nipples I mean it was that kind of thing <laughs> you know and, and it's like what the hell happened here but it is yeah absolutely amazing. I mean yeah. I, I, and I think the key is the word trousers trousers yeah, well, yeah. yes exactly yeah. Yeah. but yeah. it's true yeah. galoshes no, and things my, like my old man you know God rest his soul was one of those you know Sicilian men with a belly so yeah. Belly under the belt, not yeah, the, yeah. The, oh, the yeah. Over the belt. and, and right. you know, different looking people. Um, and I, I don't know, it's not, it's certainly not what I thought. It's in my head, I know the clock's ticking differently. Sure. And so, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, you're seeing people, some of whom are getting COVID or some of whom are just having issues at 60, 70, 80, you know, you're looking at 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years and saying, you know, something could happen to me in that window. Yeah. You know, right. unless right. I catch my mom who lived in 91. Oh, God bless. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. might. I mean, you know, but yeah, you're right. I, I feel great. I'm okay with where I am, but then I do the math. Yeah. You but know what I mean? Look the same. I mean, <laughs> and, and Rick, I don't know you as, as well. And I'm, we're having a conversation where we can see each other. Um, Chris, you haven't changed in the entire time that I've known you. you you're know being me. very kind. But, uh, but I feel the same. And looking at you, it, it's the same, Ron, from 20-something years ago when yeah. I first met yes, you. So I, I really don't. <laughs> no, but, you know, like you said, there are yeah. nicks and bruises and things like that. But we're very fortunate. Uh, some good genes and paying a little attention, I guess, to ourselves. But, you know, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because generationally it has changed dramatically over the last couple, I think, of yeah. what 60 is. You know? you know what's really weird about it? So I've got an 18-year-old son um, who's he's on 5'6", 2-plus. And he's... 510, I think 195. Mm. And he is thick as a wall. <laughs> wow. So when we mess around, whether, you know, and he played high school baseball, he throws about 85 miles an hour. Wow. Um, wow. He could fling a football at, you know, virtually pro speeds. I, you know, I played two years of high school ball. Mm-hmm. And what's, what the, the, I think the part where I get upset is I'll go out and, play, you know, toss the ball with him, whether it's a football or a baseball. And it's, there's, you know, there's clearly something missing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's not coming out of my hand the way it used to, no, you know, no, no. I can't right. track the football up to 40 miles an hour anymore. Exactly. Throwing my back out and, and I get a little frustrated. Then we'll wrestle around and, you know, despite <laughs> the fact that I probably got five or 10 pounds on him, mm. he doesn't move. <laughs> what did you guys feed him? He's got a better yeah. foundation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's much more solid in it it's a strange thing to come up against that because there was a day in your life where you could pretty much hit anybody, run into anybody. And mm-hmm. it really didn't matter how much you weighed, right? You, 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 right. Were, you were, you were strong. Right. Now I like it, it, it. That's a weird feel for me is that knowing that sure. that gap is so big. That it'll you got to choose, you, you got to choose the, the right opponents at this point. Right? <laughs> not your, not, your, not your, your 18 year old could kick your butt. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to mess around with that. That's no, the, and he could. And he, he makes that point on a relatively frequent basis. So, that's pretty funny. So, Ron, you were born in Buffalo. Did you spend time there in your yeah. youth? Yeah, I lived there from uh, zero to 13. Uh, okay, so this, this is a great lead into my next question because I'm sure as a kid getting out of school, you probably made a little extra money uh, shoveling snow eight months a year. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, yesterday, yeah, the 5th, was the 47th anniversary of our departure from Buffalo in a snowstorm. Right. Uh, I, I saw that Facebook post. Yeah. I see that. That was... And we landed in LA and uh, I spent the next 17 years there. So I went to seventh and eighth grade high school and college in, in, in LA. And so my odd jobs really, I did landscaping, which will convince you most certainly to go to college. <laughs> There's nothing like 12 hours of picking weeds. Oh yeah. yeah. Good times. Honest work, but you know, Absolutely. It, it puts things in perspective. And then I worked in a health, it, I'm in LA, as I was a film major in college, again, appropriate to the location, I, I was working in a vitamin store through, through most of my college experiences. And back then in the early 80s, that was kind of the thing to do. We made an extraordinary amount of money selling vitamins to people, which largely uh, involved um, turning their urine into very expensive liquids um, <laughs> <laughs> nice but, color hmm. yeah <laughs> scented too hmm. yeah. and we and you passed 200 dollars through your system right and so that was you know it, it, i got into it because it was fascinating to the extent that this was kind of the early days of, of 
thinking about health from a more holistic approach. Mm, yeah. uh, it still intrigues me. And, and we're coming up now on, on revolutions where some of that stuff is actually proving to be true. You know, it was a bit faddish back in the 80s, but there's a lot to preventative health care. There's a lot to making sure that, you know, your food's more nutritious. And that's become part of the consciousness, which, you know, 40 years ago in LA was kind of, you know, very faddish and very out there. Right. Uh, now it's a little bit more in vogue from a, from a mainstream perspective. Sure. Let's go from the uh, West Coast back to the East Coast to an event that I don't like to bring up too often, but you have a very interesting story about uh, the morning of, of 9-11. Um, I was on WNBC at the time. Rick, I think, was in the city as well. We were all in the city. But uh, tell us about, because I remember seeing you later that morning on the Today Show. Tell us about what was going on for you that morning. Well, you know, it was funny. I, in a strange way, it was like one of the best prior few days than I'd had. It was this, so this is 2001, um, on, on September, let's see, 6th, Jack Welch retired mm -hmm. uh, from General Electric. So I went to his mm -hmm. retirement party and it was this phenomenal thing up in Crotonville and, you know, a handful of us from CNBC were invited and it was one of these kind of like, you know, I can't believe I'm here type moments, you know, sitting with one of the greatest CEOs of all time. And then the night before 9-11, I was out with a, a money manager uh, who has since passed Marty Zweig and his wife and mine. And we went to Christie's and I, I bought um, at a charity auction a, a day on the set of The Sopranos and a day on the set of Sex and the City. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's the night before. And, and it's, right. you know, Marty, God rest his soul, owned the top half of the Pierre Hotel as his apartment. Wow. Uh, in which he kept um, pop memorabilia. And I believe it was the largest pop memorabilia collection in the country, which included Marilyn Monroe's driver's license, the Beatles. Wow. Fab Four Suits, the Marilyn Monroe, wow. Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Um, wow. And so we're out, we're having this great night the night before. The next morning, I'm sitting at the Regency Hotel having breakfast with two hedge fund managers. And we're having, you know, normal breakfast. And we're kind of talking about what the environment's going to be like. This is post-internet bubble. Things are still kind of rough on Wall Street. And the guy at the next table, who must have known that I worked for CNBC, said, did you hear that a plane hit the Twin Towers? And so I excused myself, got in a cab and called our assignment desk at CNBC and said, listen, what's going on? Where are we broadcasting from? I'm making my way down. I'm in the city. So I'm going to go down. So I got out around Liberty Street, um, going down Park Avenue. You could actually see the plume of smoke that was bracketed by the buildings on Park. Mm. Um, and the second plane was about to hit as well. And so I was listening to our reporting on my phone at the time. And as I got out of the car, there was a producer from MSNBC who called me out on the street. He had called in sick that day. And he's like, let's, let's go to our cameras on the West Side Highway, which is where CNBC and MSNBC were, were set up. And we were on the east side of the towers. So we got through the police barricade and we were effectively by ourselves uh, somewhere within the proximity of, of, of both towers. And we were walking towards the tower and we're about a half block away. And we looked up and a chunk of the building fell off. An enormous plume of smoke blew out and we were not intent on going any further and we turned mm -hmm. and ran and I made a right around the first corner which I believe to have been Church Street I'm not sure uh, and John Zito ran down the street and as I looked over my shoulder as we kind of parted ways you could see the cloud rolling up mm -hmm. and I ran around and squatted down next to a parked car not knowing what else to do and things went pitch black in a second and oh, I mean like so black you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face and um, my wife was eight weeks pregnant with my son our second wow. child um, I'm sitting there not knowing what to do. It's getting hotter and, and less breathable. I was going to say, yeah, in yeah. terms of breathing, what was that had to be? Yeah. I mean, you were and, suffocating. 
it was, it, and it was bizarre. So there's this cars parked perpendicularly to the, to the buildings. And, and I reached up to see if it was open and the back door was unlocked. Oh, so I followed oh the car, car and plopped myself in there. And, wow. and I don't know what to do, right? I don't know. What's, I don't really don't know what's happening. I mean, I kind of have an idea, right. but, and, and the sound was so overwhelming. It's the one thing I don't actually remember from the experience. And I sat in there until it just turned gray. And then I got out and went into a building and there were some police officers there. And one woman told me to wash off my face because I had mm. a fair amount of debris. And I, police decided that they were going to move uptown. And we picked up some injured people on the way. I went to NBC to 30 Rock, um, walked into Andy Lack's office, who was the president of the network at the time. Um, and he was in there with Stone Phillips and Andy just grabbed me and he said, come on, let's go. Threw me on the set with Matt. <laughs> Lauer, Katie Couric, and Tom Brokaw, mm -hmm. and relayed what I had seen, which at the time I described as looking like a nuclear winter. I mean, when you were down mm -hmm. there, it was gray. There were, there were things strewn all over the street. There were injured people. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's strange, you know, because, and, and Chris, you guys know this, being a participant and an observer as, as a journalist is a very unusual mm -hmm. thing to find yourself. Right. And so on the one hand, you're trying to process what you went through personally. And on the other hand, you're trying not to lose your mind while you're on the set relaying this information. I will say mm -hmm. that my three NBC colleagues at the time, Tom, Matt, and Katie, were so cool, were so contained, mm -hmm. that we all had to stay within ourselves. However we yep. wanted to characterize the experience and what we saw, you didn't lose it. And, mm -hmm. and Tom, I would say in particular, was unusually grounded during mm -hmm. this period. He really held everybody together. We went to 11.30 that night. Right. And, and I remember, you know, after finishing he walked over to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, you got too close, huh? And I said, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you know, it was, it was an unusual experience in the sense that I couldn't get a hold of my wife for a while, and no one mm. knew where I was. Right. And I had a cell phone, but I couldn't use it because the tower had come down, and that, that cell phone tower was on the top of the building. Right? Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that. And I thought about calling her, and I, then I was like, you know, if, if somebody finds me in three days, she's eight weeks pregnant. I mean, I'm not going to call her and, and, and make her hysterical. True. You know, it's going to be bad enough as it is, you right. know, and she had no idea where I was anyway. I mean, she knew I was in the city, but she didn't know what was going on. And so thankfully, you know, it, 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 it turned out my favorite. Sadly, I mean, we had friends at Cantor Fitzgerald and, and right. Woods who, I mean, had no chance. And it, it was, a, you know, it was a brutal and profound day. And, and there's, there's not been anything like it that, that, that obviously, you know, the pandemic is different in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, mm. it's, 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 we're losing more people. We're losing a 9-11 headcount if you will daily every yeah. single day yeah. but it's a different thing hope you're enjoying our conversation with cnbc's ron insana you're listening to uh chris and rick on middle-aged warriors here on the believe podcast network and uh ron we thank you so much for the time you're spending with us oh this is great it's my pleasure absolutely so, so now we want to have a little fun before you All go right. <laughs> uh, it's a little something we call the lightning round just you know for, uh, for laughs to see what the quick response is. Now, we haven't asked you any of these questions prior, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> They're a little bit all over the place, uh, some tongue-in-cheek. They are. We're going to make uh, you think a little bit. But uh, I'll, I'll go with, here's an obvious one I'm going to go with first. Stocks or bonds? Uh, stocks, if you select them properly, bonds have a lot of risk in them right now. And so I think unless we have higher taxes and you want to look at municipal bonds, uh, a careful selection of stocks makes more sense. What was the first record? you ever bought? Uh, bought or received. Hmm. So the first Christmas gift I ever got was Teaser and the Firecat 1971 uh, by Cat Stevens, my wow. cousin, okay. husband gave me for Christmas. I didn't know who Cat Stevens was. The first <laughs> one that I bought was Elton John's Greatest Hits. 
Oh, all right. I like that one. Okay, uh, being of Italian descent, sauce or gravy? Sauce. Ah, thank you, Ron. I knew I liked this guy. God Almighty. I, what is that gravy brown, stuff? Right? Gravy's brown. It's, it's, it goes Please. on turkey. Thank you. Meatloaf, sauce. We don't, we don't have to continue this conversation. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and along those lines, red, white, or rosé? Uh, I would have to say red. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, Mets or Yankees? Yankees, absolutely, 100%. Okay. Now, my old boss owns the, the Mets, so I'll have to be a little careful with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're both, we're both Mets fans, so that's the end of this conversation. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in better shape this year than you were in the last. Yeah, well, hopefully. Window or aisle seat? Aisle, every time. Uh, dinner at home or dinner out? Out. Not lately. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that was, <laughs> we're dreaming. <laughs> when you were a kid, who was your celebrity crush? Petula Clark. Wow, ah. that's a good throwback. And my last question, favorite Netflix show? Um, right now, I would say, is, is, no, Bridgerton, is Bridgerton on Netflix? Uh, you know, I confuse between Hulu and Amazon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know which one I'm watching at the time. So I'll go with that. Bad question, sorry. <laughs> and finally, Carol King or Carly Simon? Huh. I think we agree with you. I think I agree with a lot of your answers. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the sauce one is, is of, of particular concern to me because I just think it is, it is, um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why there's a discussion about that, but my wife's family always called it gravy. And they would, they would say the mitigans, you know, the mitigans call it, call it sauce. No, sauce is from, it's a tomato base. It's not a meat base. Yes, there's meat in it, but the color didn't come. The argument starts, right? If you put meat in it, then presumably it's gravy. But if you don't, it's sauce. I mean, I'm Sicilian American, so it's a different. Me too. Set up for for us. Um, And, you know, they say gravy, we whack them, you know. (laughs) Well, on that note. (laughs) I like to say. And I'm Jewish American, and I like to say Italians, Jews, yeah. guilt's the same, yeah. but your food is much better. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll agree with you on that. The one distinction I'll make, having grown up Roman Catholic, though I am no longer, is that Jewish guilt is ephemeral. It ends when you die. We carry mm. ours into the afterlife <laughs> and exist yeah. for all eternity. So, That's very true. Good point. <laughs> okay. Something else to look forward to. Ron, <laughs> I, wa- I want to thank you for giving us so much of your valuable time. Good yeah. luck with everything. Uh, all the best to you, you, the family, the kids, your wife. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm glad we had some time to do this. What a joy to talk with you. And, uh, you know, as things progress, we may need to tap into your knowledge again. Anytime. Okay, Absolutely. I appreciate it. Be well, my friend. You too. Thanks again. Bye, right. Ron. Take care, Ron. Take care, guys. Thanks. How great was that? You know, and he is absolutely the guy I've watched on TV for so many years. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect any anything less. Ron, what, what you see is what you get. He's a good guy. He's a smart man. And, uh, you know, there's no there's no agenda. There's no <laughs> nothing is slanted or leaning a certain way for anybody's benefit. So uh, we appreciate him taking the time to give us a little clarity. It's, you know, it's funny. Some of the questions we challenged him with. You know, the answers were yes, yes, and yes. Is a, um, because we, we're all in this to a certain degree also unknowingly. Even the so-called, you know, experts don't know exactly what's going to happen. 
But uh, he did give us a, a good idea, depending upon where you are, what stage in your life you are, how you should start to look at your finances and where we should be moving them or not moving them, as, as the case might be. I told you I'm selling all my baseball cards and sports memorabilia. That's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> and, and let me tell you something. There is a huge market for that. I have some, and uh, my daughter's friend actually is very good at selling that kind of stuff and all oh, sorts really? of things. Yeah, so she can help you out. But she sold a couple of things of mine very quickly, so I'm, I'm realizing there's a pretty active market out there for that. Uh, you'll find yourself busy like you are right now. What you can't see is... Uh, yeah. Rick was holding my puppy Tula, but she got a little squirmy. But at least she's not barking because no. you know, and she may before the show is over. But uh, anyway, uh, that's a wrap on this show. Any last thoughts uh, as we? This is our first show in 2021. Yeah, we made it. Yeah, and yeah, we're coming up on our one year anniversary in a couple of months, right? Yeah, and you know, in the way that was marked by I think maybe two or three episodes into uh, you know the beginning of the pandemic, maybe that one year anniversary will start to be the the point where we're turning out of the pandemic and maybe turning the corner a little bit. We can only hope. Maybe. By the way, we hope you'll take a moment to shoot us a quick email. You've got two addresses, middleagewarriors uh, at gmail.com, middleagewarriors at yahoo.com. Let us know where you're listening, what you're doing, what you'd like to hear, any comments you might have about our show. Really, Chris and I would love to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, the feedback is what's going to make the show evolve because the show is for you. Otherwise, it's just the two of us idiots sitting here talking to yeah. each other. Yeah, really. Yeah. Which is pretty much what it is. No, um, but th that is important. And also on all of my social media, uh, Chris Cimino, whether, whether it's on Facebook, uh, Instagram, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, same account, and uh, anything LinkedIn, you will also get links to our show, our Middle-Aged Warrior podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And even there, leave a comment or a thought, a good or bad or indifferent. Be good, feel good. Sunshine always. Until next time, stay See well. Ya. Mm -hmm. Music playing out. <laughs> hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, we're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com and at the lead podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.